Um, this morning I want to talk about zeal. Just a couple minutes. Um, and the word zeal is sometimes used in a negative light. Uh, I mean, we talk about somebody being overzealous, uh, being radical and fanatical. Uh, and I'm not sure I necessarily actually have a problem with that, depending on the context and what it is we're talking about. Um, and I think I'm going to use an example for zeal that I think we can all relate to, because there's a lot of uh, Georgia Bulldog fans around here. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you. Uh, <laughs> but if, if you know, like a diehard sports fan, then, then you have an idea of what zeal can look like. Right? I mean, t- I'm talking about people who have, like, merch, like, all over their house. Like, they've picked out their tombstone, and there's a bulldog on it. Uh, they might have a tattoo. I mean, they, they know, like, all of the stats. They know all of the players. They can tell you everything going back to the beginning of whenever it was founded, whenever that happened. Again, not a bulldog fan. No offense. Uh, but, like, they know everything about it. And what's amazing is, is people who are, like, diehard sports fans for a team can find a way to bring it up in any conversation. They can because you love, they, I mean, you love your team. You love that team. So you're always trying to, like, recruit new people to be fans for your team. And also, at times, you're creating enemies, because you have rivalries, right? So, like, the, we understand what, what zeal can look like in, in, in a healthy way, uh, you know, depending on, on how dedicated you are to this team. But we can understand that. But what I wonder is, can we have and are we allowed to have that same type of zeal and passion for God? Like, are we allowed to have that same passion where we're, like, sold out, dedicated to who God is. Now, I, I know for me, that's what I want. And I know most of you, and I believe that's what you want, is we want to be able to, like, the same you can with a sports team, be able to recall stats and facts about God just off the top of your head. That no matter what's going on, whatever situation you're in, you want to be able to just reach into your pocket and pull out something about God. Because, because you, you know him, you love him, you desire him. Right? I, I want that. Like, I want to know everything I can about who God is. I want to be able to recall information and, and, and recite verses, which I'm not very good at. But I want to do these things. And I want to know everything there is to know about him, which is very difficult because he's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's God. It's impossible to know everything. He's always present. And at my best, I'm present in a moment. But that's the desire. The desire is a sold-out, radical, fanatical life. So this morning, like I said, I want to talk about holy zeal. And there's a book called The U-Turn Church, great little book. And it says, holy zeal is a passionate commitment to count the cost, be willing to sacrifice, and follow Jesus into his ministry of making disciples of all nations. And I like that last line, his ministry of making disciples of all nations. But holy zeal isn't just passion. Like, passion is great. We can have passion about a lot of things. We can be passionate about a lot of things. Like, that's great. But it's more, holy zeal is more than just passion. It's grounded in trust in God. Holy zeal is grounded in a biblical faith. And to have faith is to believe. I've been thinking about this word belief for a couple of weeks now, which is what kind of kicked this whole idea off. I was reading... Uh, a story where, uh, which one is it now? I've been thinking about it, now I can't remember it. Uh, oh, so the, uh, the centurion sends, uh, or goes to see Jesus, and his son's sick, and Jesus says, you know, 
he's healed. Go on your way. And so it says the man believed him and went on his way. The word believe is pistio in the Greek, and it means to commit yourself to something you know to be true. You're committing yourself to something you know to be true. To believe, to have faith, is to look at the world around you, the circumstances around you, and know that part of what you do not see but is real is the fact that God is present and he can do more than you can ask, think, or imagine. That's belief. Like, like I don't believe that if I took two steps off this stage, I would be standing on firm ground. So I don't do it. Right? We, we, we place our belief all the time. We act this out in all sorts of situations. I remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm not chronological, Steve was talking about running out of gas. Like that really stuck with me. Because we do that. We, we have a belief in something and we go, oh yeah, I can make this. But it's not grounded in reality. Our belief and our trust and our faith in God has to be grounded in who he is and his ministry, and his calling. Like we were singing, I'm, I'm praising you not for who I am, but for who you are. I'm, I'm seeking you not for what I can do, but for what you can do through me. I'm looking to you because I believe that you are so much more than I am, God. That's holy zeal. Abraham is and has always been an example to me in this. I remember years ago, it was actually the, right before the first time Julie and I moved, not knowing where we were moving to. In Hebrews 11.8, it says that Abraham went out when he was called and obeyed, not knowing where he was going. First time I read that, and then we did some crazy faith-based things, and I was like, that was fun. Problem is, is it happens again and again and again. Because if you tell Jesus, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do, and I'll, I'll believe you, and I'll have faith, and I will trust you, then he goes, okay, let's do this. And we should expect that because if we look through Scripture, we see that. It's not just Abraham. It's not a hero like Abraham who who is the only one who has that, who is the only one who can go out not knowing where he was going but trusting the God who called him. So I want to look at a couple verses from Hebrews 11. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith. He was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. This is Abel. Now, we can read that and go, okay, well, that's cool. Abraham's parents, uh, sorry, Abel's parents, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are not pictures of faith. They brought sin into the world. They, They did the one thing God told them not to do. I don't, you know, I'm not going to jump on them because if they didn't, somebody else would have. But this is, this is Abel. Abel had faith, even though like, he looks to his parents and he's like, wow, you guys really messed this up, but I trust God. We look at uh, verse 5. It says, Enoch had so much faith that God took him and brought him straight to heaven. I can't even imagine that level of faith. Verse 7 says, Noah believed God and built a boat even though it had never rained. And it, it wasn't an overnight thing. He didn't run up to Home Depot, grab some stuff, have it delivered. No, he had to, like, chop down his trees. He had to do everything by himself. I don't even know what gopher wood is. Where do you find that? But he did it, and it had never rained. He wasn't near a body of water, but God said, do this. And he says, I trust you. Verses 27 through 29 say, by faith, Moses led the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. 
And God put them in a position where they had to trust him because he brought them right up to the edge of the water. Behind them is Pharaoh and his armies looking to kill them and bring back whoever they don't kill. In front of them is drowning. And God says, I've got this. They had to have faith. But verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell. I was talking to somebody a week or so ago about this and just the insanity of that plan to begin with. Total insanity. March around the city. Do that seven times. For seven days. And then on the seventh day, do it again. Don't say nothing. Just march around in quiet. And then, yell and blast the trumpets and I'll do my work. I think that teaches a lot of things. One is faith sometimes looks silly. Like faith sometimes causes us to do things that doesn't look right. That we would go, that's not the way you do this. And I think, two, it tells us, there's probably a few things, but two, I would also say, it teaches us that praise is fighting. Like, when we praise, we are fighting. It's fighting in a way, again, that doesn't make sense and doesn't look right, but it's fighting because you believe who God is and says, God, I am sold out to you. I am passionate about you. I want you. I have zeal for you in your ways. My favorite, verse 31, says, By faith, a prostitute named Rahab, who by all accounts had no hold on the promises of God, was saved. She believed the stories of God, and her and her house were saved. This one blows me away. Because not only does Rahab decide, you know what? I'm seeing something out there. Like, what I'm seeing doesn't make any sense. And, and it goes against my culture. It goes against my upbringing. It goes against the things in, in the city that I live in. But I'm seeing things that tells me that this God that these people worship is going to win. And if I want to live, I need to be a part of that. And not only does she become a part of that, we read through Jesus' lineage, and there's Rahab. The prostitute. So what does that tell us? Is that anybody can get in on this. Like, we are all invited. It doesn't matter. Even what you did last night, God says, I welcome you. And what I want from you is to believe me and work up to this zeal, this holy zeal, this passion, this sold-out, radical, fanatical lifestyle that I'm calling you to. And I don't care what you did before because I have something new for you today. And we can think that, 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 again, when we read the Bible, that it's just for these people. Like, these people had faith. Like, so I, I remember reading stories of Abraham, and I was like, wow, God's always talking to Abraham. It's like every 20 minutes, God and Abraham are having a conversation. But really, if you look over Abraham's life, that's not the case. We've only got like five, maybe, I don't remember the exact number. There's only a handful of recorded times that God spoke to Abraham. The rest of what Abraham did was working off the last thing that God had told him. That's zeal. That's faith. That's belief. But we can. Sometimes we think about that. But Hebrews 12 goes on to tell us that, no, we're supposed to look at these examples and lay aside the things that hinder us because there are things that hinder us. There are things that hold on to us. There are things that try to drag us back to who we were before. There are things that try to remind you of what you did before and say, no, you can't go after God that hard. 
You, you, can't, you can't seek Jesus like that because remember what you did. One of my favorite quotes, and it's a paraphrase because uh, I'm so bad at that, but is Martin Luther, uh, not King Jr., but the reformer. Uh, Martin Luther says, yes, when the devil throws your past back at you and says you're deserving of hell and death, say, yes, what of it? For there is one who died and took my place. Like, that's what, we're, that's what Hebrews 12 is saying there about looking at the great cloud of witnesses and casting off the things that hinder us. Is yes, you, the devil brings your past back up and you go, yeah, I did it. I, I did that. The, the devil reminds you, and I say the devil in a very loose term, you know, the devil, your flesh, however you want to look at that. But, but it, it looked, things get brought back up and you go, yeah, I did that. But that's not who I am. That's not what I'm doing anymore. That's not the person I am. I was thinking, um, I don't have a slide for this, but Marty had sent me a podcast about joy, and it was huh, magnificent. So good. One of the things it talked about was building like joy pathways. So like thinking about things that bring you back to God's joy. Not just joy, but God's joy. Bringing things to a picture of who God says that you are and being intentional about that. And so I decided to do it because I liked it. So let's actually give this a try and see if it works. And it worked. Um, but like I had had this picture in my mind for like two months now of, of a failure of mine. And it just kept haunting me constantly. And God had given me this other picture, but I didn't know it was from God. I just knew I kept seeing this other thing. And I mean, like visual, I could see these pictures. So I decided, let me, let me try this, God, because if this is a picture from you, then there's going to be purpose in it. There's going to be something there. There's going to be joy to it. So I did this exercise of just paying attention to that picture and then saying, God, what do you want to say to me about me and about you in this memory? And I just clearly felt what it was. And it made that sin picture just disappear. Why? Because I looked at the promises of God. I looked at the heroes of the faith. I looked at the truth of who God is and said, I'm going to set aside and I'm going to lay aside the thing that's hindering me. Using his words and his ways and his methods. And then we look to the people around us. Like uh, Stephen Randall, out on the mission, right? Like going out to Thailand and and, uh, Turkey. Like, we look at that, and we're supposed to look at that. Like, God, one of the reasons God prompts them to do things like that is so that we will look at that and go, Jesus, you're so good. God, look how you're moving. Look at this example of faith that you've put in front of me. I want to be more like that so I can be more like you. And that's what we do. We look at the cloud of witnesses around us. We look at the heroes of the faith. We, we look at them and, 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 and their, their successes, their failures, their triumphs, their trials, all of it, and go, God, I want to be more like you. We start to develop this holy zeal that wells up inside of us. But the, the key to all of that is Jesus. Like the key to a radical, fanatical, sold-out, holy lifestyle our holy zeal lifestyle is Jesus. Because when we fix our eyes on him, he takes us into all sorts of things. But he is the key. We fix our eyes on the light of the world and follow him into whatever he's doing. No matter how foolish or crazy it looks like. Faith in Christ, love for him and identification with him is the key to a life of holy zeal. That's the key. It's the only thing that can give us the ability to do that. 
Like when we're worshiping and we're praising and we're feeling that those things start to well up inside of us, that's a moment, right? And it's a beautiful moment. But what God says is you can have a life that looks like that. You can have that on Monday. You can have that without any music playing. You can have that without somebody around you saying, go get them, tiger. Like, you can have that if you want it. And all you have to do is fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your gaze firmly on him. In, in, in the podcast I mentioned, we talked about joy being the, 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 uh, the, the light that you see from somebody's face. Right? So, like, um, I use Matt Rawlings. He's a really good example. For, see, that's what I'm talking about. That is why I use Matt Rawlings as an example. Because I said his name, and he looked at me, and he smiled. That's joy. Right? That is joy. Is that he enjoys my presence, and I enjoy his presence. Joy, the, the, the joy that God has for us, that's what that means. Is he turns his face towards us. The blessing that we read in Numbers is that God will turn his face towards you. That means he's pleased with you. And so we look back at him and we lock eyes with the Savior and go, I can do this. I can live this life. I can do the things you've called me to. The problem is when we take our eyes off of him but still want zeal. The problem is when we take our eyes off of Jesus and still want zeal, because then it turns into zeal and passion for his word, but not about him. It it turns into zeal and passion about the judgment of God without the love of God. It turns into zeal and passion for, for, for justice without mercy. It turns into something else because we've taken our eyes off of the Savior. We've taken our eyes off of the one who has joy with us and that we're supposed to have joy in. And instead of being holy zeal, we just become zealots. And zealots just want to kill. Zealots just want to take over. Like, zealots don't care about those things. Holy zeal says, I'll do whatever. I will do anything short of sin to follow Jesus into his mission of making disciples. So there's a problem, but there's always a good solution. And the solution to that is death. Yeah, the solution is death. Because to live apart from God is to live for the world, and to live for the world is die, right? Doesn't that mean the Bible says that? But to live for Christ means we actually live. Galatians 2.20 says, I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. The solution to staying alive with passion and holy zeal is to fix our eyes on Jesus and understand that we're dead. That's it. My, my father-in-law, when... I first started reading the Bible, and I was trying to understand Galatians 2.20. He said, okay, dead men don't have rights. Like, so it's easy for you to just let things go. And I was like, oh, he's not wrong. Like, nobody's going to get up out of the coffin and say, hey, you parked on my spot. No, he's dead. What does he care? Right? To live a life of holy zeal is to just recognize that we died with Christ. And the life that we now live, we live by faith in him. And that makes it so much easier. 
You know, I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago when I was talking about mercy, that, that doesn't mean you let everybody into your life and let everybody walk all over you, just to be clear. But it does mean that we can move forward in things and be like, you know what, I just, I, I don't have time for that nonsense. I'm following Jesus. And Jesus is not over there in that nonsense. And maybe he is. But if he calls you to that nonsense, he'll give you the grace to work through it as well. So I just have uh, a question. A question? Three questions, actually. Might as well. I had one, now I had two. Let's go with three. And I'm going to wrap this up. So here's my question. What is keeping you? What is keeping me? What is keeping us from living a life of holy zeal? Is it that we don't want to? And if that's the case, that's fine. Just be honest about that. Is it, Jesus, I know that you've got so much more in store for me. I just don't want it. So be honest about that. But also be understand that, that if that's your answer, then the repercussions of that are the repercussions of that. What's, what's keeping you, what's keeping me, what's keeping us from living a life dedicated and sold out to Jesus? What, as Hebrews 12 says, is hindering us and ensnaring us and stopping us from moving forward into the things of God that he would have for us? Is it fear? Because if it is, then you stand firm in the face of fear and say, you're not my future. Like, I, I don't need that. Yes, I'm scared, but I'm going to walk anyway. Because I'm not walking based off what I'm seeing. I'm walking based off the fact that my eyes are fixed on Jesus. Like when we're, so, so Link isn't walking yet, thankfully. Uh, that would be so weird. Uh, but if he was, what, what, is, what, what are Matt and Kelsey doing when they're ta- teaching him to walk? They're holding their hands out. They're saying, come to Daddy. Come to Daddy. Come on, you can do it. They're encouraging him. And when he can't do it, Matt doesn't look at him and go, you idiot. You should be, well, maybe Matt does. Most parents don't. Kelsey doesn't for sure. But you don't. You go, come on, you can do it. I know you can. And when they fall down, you go, that's okay. You, you reach down, you pick up their hands, you hold them, you give them some more, right? You keep going. That's what Jesus is doing to us. Is he's saying, okay, I know you're scared. It's okay. I didn't say you couldn't be scared. Like, Jesus didn't say, I, know, I didn't say it wasn't going to be hard. One of my favorite things about Jesus is his promise as he's going back to heaven is, it's going to be hard. <laughs> Heads up, guys. This is going to be extremely difficult. And there's a good chance everybody's going to hate you. You still on board? Okay, good. Because I've overcome the world. He says, come on, we can do this. You can follow me into this. You can have holy zeal, and it's okay if you fall down. It's okay if you make mistakes. It's okay if you worry. It's okay if you have doubt. It's okay if when you wake up on Wednesday, you go, I just don't feel it today, Jesus. He goes, that's okay. I don't need you to feel it. I need you to do it. It's okay. And he picks us up, and he says, come on. Because he wants us to have a life of holy zeal. He wants us to have a life that is so on fire for him that like the disciples, we're willing to do anything. We're willing to go anywhere. We're willing to risk anything. And like Steve was saying, with, with, with the, the missionary partners in, in uh, the Asia area, 
It doesn't mean they don't have normal problems in life as well. It means they get a whole bunch of other problems added to those. And you know what? I guarantee they count it all as joy. They go, oh, it's okay. Like, it's not a problem. I'd rather be poisoned than deal with my daughter freaking out over something again. Not my daughter. Right? It means that we go, it's okay. And we fix our eyes on Jesus, and we follow him. We count the cost. We follow him into his thing that he's doing, making disciples of all nations. Because then we get to the end, and we see people that we never thought we'd see celebrating with Jesus and rejoicing in him. We, 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 we follow him with holy zeal and passion, and we see things like people being healed of diseases. We follow him, and we see, we see couples who, who never thought they could have children raising children. We, we see people who have had broken marriages restored. We see people who have broken marriages, and now we're on the, God has blessed them with something new. And they carry all of that pain with them and the beauty that they now have as well. And we do all of this because we can have holy zeal. We can have a sold-out, radical, fanatical devotion to Jesus. And sometimes that's too much for people. And that's okay. He didn't say everybody was going to like you. He just said, follow me. So we close out. I don't know who's uh, singing us out during response time. If nobody does it, Larry, you're up. (laughs) (laughs) Praying for a miracle, my friend. But like... That's all he wants is for us to say, I'm just going to follow you, Jesus. I'm just going to, I'm going to set it all aside and I'm going to just trust you and I'm going to run headfirst into whatever's in front of me with my eyes fixed on you. I will acknowledge that I have fear. I have acknowledged that I have worry. I will acknowledge that I have doubt and I will acknowledge that I have a whole host of things in life bringing me down. But I'm going to say, I trust you enough to keep walking forward. going to be so much fun. It might redefine our definition of fun. But you've got to trust me on this. Like, to follow Jesus in the midst of everything being confusing and hard, it's just so beautiful. You end up with a joy that you didn't know you could have. And then others get to see that, and it spreads. So as we go into a response time, I would ask what, what is, if there is something, because it's not everybody, but is there something stopping you from being willing to follow Jesus, either as a first time? Like, you don't know who he is. You hear this guy talking about Jesus, and you're like, I don't know who that is. Then maybe you take that moment, and you just say, Jesus, I'm willing to put you to the test. If you're real, then show me. And if you know him and you want a deeper relationship, it's that same question. Jesus, I'm willing to put you to the test and watch what he does. So we're going to take a time of uh, response and then uh, I'll come up and close us out. Uh, there's communion. Because communion is an excellent way to interact with our Savior. Uh, and then there's offering here and in the back as well.